<laughs> Lily, great to see you guys this morning. Good to see all of you. Let's begin now with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you for who you are. You are life and light. You are all powerful, all righteous. We thank you that you have given us your son, Jesus Christ, to provide for all our needs. He died for our sins. He raised him from the dead for our justification so that whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, will have eternal life and will be declared righteous in heaven by you the moment we believe. And Father, this morning, as we continue in the Gospel of John, help us to understand and learn more about the person of your son, his uh, intervention and coming down from heaven in the form of the God-man to save us from our sins and to teach us about righteousness and sin and judgment. And we just help help us this morning to put ourselves into the into the picture as Jesus continues his walk, his teaching, his signs. And we ask also, Father, that we would come away today with a new motivation to share the light with others. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Uh, Amen. Summer break will be at the end of August, August 22nd to the 30th. We will not be having services on either Thursday evening, August 25th, or Sunday, August 28th. Those two days we will not be gathering together for service. As before, please keep our missionaries in prayer, the congregations that have faced persecution overseas. In particular, again, uh, Pastor Kingsley is asking us to pray for his good friend in Nigeria, Nicholas, who's an evangelist there. Spreads the gospel of grace. Keep his family in prayer as well. There are a lot of obstacles and difficulties that they face, as you can imagine. Okay, let's begin in the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 11, verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 7. We'll pick things up where we ended up last week. In John, chapter 11, verse 7. And the title of our message today is, Are There Not Twelve Hours in the Day? Are There Not Twelve Hours in the Day? John chapter 11, starting in verse 7. I'll now read this passage, and then we'll get cracking. Then, after Jesus said, then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Jesus' dear friend Lazarus was very sick. His sisters, Martha and Mary, sent word to Jesus And Jesus told, he proclaimed, he declared that the illness that Lazarus had would not end in death. It was, in fact, mortal, but a death would not be the end. So that instead, his sickness leading to physical death would glorify the father and in turn glorify the son, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. After he received this news, he remained where he was for two days. Remember that he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, but he loved his father most of all, and he knew that his father had a great plan, and that if he delayed for two days, that would result in even more glory, even more um, incentive for people to believe in who he is. And so he did remain for two days. During that time, um, Lazarus passed away, was buried, and um, put put into the uh, tomb. Then after those two days, Jesus finally got the green light from his father, to go to Judea. He was always waiting for his moment, and his moment was always given him by the Father. And after two days, he, as it were, was given permission by his Father to then head to Judea, to Bethany, uh, nearby the city of Jerusalem. And of course, that's where Lazarus and his sisters live. When he gets there, he will work a marvelous work of God. So he calls his disciples together and he gives them the news. They didn't take it well. They were afraid. They were afraid of what awaits them when they go back to Judea. They were afraid for Jesus' safety, but they were also afraid for their own safety. 
And remember, we had that tremendous visual aid now, realizing where they were in Bethany beyond the Jordan, and then realizing where they would be heading and to basically to Jerusalem. And then there was a road that they had to take, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so there, it added a lot of, of uh, it, it reality. We can th- see ourselves in the position of the disciples thinking about that journey, which, remember, took about 10 hours or so. And then understanding that they had to do that while it was day. So that's the image that they have. And Jesus is going to use that image. And he's going to project into that image some, some, some spiritual principles, some things that they have to come to terms with, and some things that every human being has to come to terms with in terms of those 12 hours of daylight. So we're going to see that this morning. We're going to see the Gospel of John. We're going to start at the beginning again, and we're going to follow the line of one particular thing, which is light and darkness, light and darkness. And we're going to see, as we've seen already several times, that the prologue, which we have access to, it's kind of like the narrator, as it were, of the story. But it's much more than that, because it plants the seed for everything that will happen in the rest of the Gospel of John. We see light and darkness. We see that the darkness does not overcome the light, but instead the light has victory. But there will be darkness along the way. And we've seen that in terms of the rejection that Jesus had, the the hatred that was there. Ultimately, that darkness will have its day at the cross. But that won't be the final outcome. You see, the light finally overcomes forever the darkness of evil and sin. And so along the way, though, we we see this developed. We see the, the line of light in terms of the ones who would believe in him, the ones who would become children of light. At the same time, we see the development of the darkness, namely those who remain children of of Satan and are are in the darkness. And and those who are in the darkness get worse. They, They move from unbelief to fear and finally to hatred. Those who are in the light, believers on the other hand, they move from faith to hope to love. And that those are the diametrically opposed movements of this gospel. And it's all at the, there in the beginning of the prologue. But then it has to come into human history and be played out. And that's what the rest of the gospel is about. Seeing how the word, the light, becomes flesh, enters into the world, a world of darkness, and is the light. And how, that, how real people, be it, the, be it the apostles or people like Martha and Mary and the woman at the well, most especially also we see his enemies, the Pharisees and the priests, who John calls the Jews. And we again, we see how they play out in their unbelief as we proceed from chapters 1, 2, through where we are now, 11, through 12, which will be the end of Jesus' public ministry. That will be the last hour for those he was ministering to, preaching to, exhorting. And then, of course, after that, he'll have that private time with his disciples where he'll prepare them for both his death and his resurrection and what will come after that. And then there will be the darkness. The hour will come for him to to die and be glorified. But after that, those who believe in him get a brand new day in the the resurrection. And and then that that becomes the, the end of the Gospel of John, but the really the beginning of the church. So we're going to watch this happen for, in a brief set of uh, visits to scriptures this morning to see about light and darkness and how that carries in a powerful way some of the main themes of the whole Gospel of John. Of course, we take our cue from verses 9 and 10. Again, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night... He stumbles because the light is not in him. So again, here we have the disciples. They are afraid. They don't want to take the journey back to Judea. They know what awaits them there. They know what awaits Jesus there. And yet they're here. They're listening to Jesus basically saying, "Okay, pack up our things. We're going back to Judea. Now, interestingly, he doesn't tell them why he's decided to go. Again, we know but they don't know. He doesn't tell them what's going to happen once they arrive. He just says, we're going. And then they say again, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? So they ask him a question. 
You see, it's a, if you look at it, verse 8 is the question that sets the stage for verses 9 and 10. And the answer Jesus is going to give them. But he's going to give them an answer that's quite unlike what they were expecting, or at least the parameters of what they were expecting. You know, they're saying, are you sure you want to go there? And rather than him saying, um, of course I want to go here, and this is why he gives them this, basically this proverb about, about 12 hours in the day and walking in the day when it's light and so forth. And, is, and essentially leaves that for them to ponder as he then comes back and, and the, the chapter progresses when we actually see what he means by light and darkness, walking in the day and so forth. At the same time, the disciples, remember, they've been with him since chapter one, really. They, everything that we've seen in the Gospel of John, they witnessed. Everything that Jesus said, they heard. And he's already said a lot about light and darkness. But they lost that in their fear and in the moment. And then what we're going to do this morning is bring it back for our benefit to see what they should have known and what they should have heard when Jesus talked about the 12 hours, the light and the darkness. So, again, rather than answering their question, I mean, he's already told them, I'm going. So he he's and he doesn't change his mind. He doesn't. When he says something, it's going to happen. So there was so really from Jesus point of view, there was no point in answering the question they asked him. He'd already answered that. Are you going there again? In other words, he's saying, I'm going there again. Are you going there again? <laughs> Didn't you hear me the first time? I'm going there. So there's no no point to him actually asking the specific question, answering the specific question that they asked. So instead, he does something else. Instead, he challenges them to basically get your act together. See, see when, he, when he answers something that's quite unlike the question, it's to, it's to startle them, to say, wait a minute, we're missing something here. You see, while they're afraid, he's not afraid. Why? Because he's, he knows there are still hours left in the day. And we're going to see what, the, what, is, what does he mean by that? Why are there hours left in the day such that they don't have to be afraid that they can walk with him, arrive at the destination, and nothing's going to happen until the father says it will. So in other words, they were giving him a reason not to go. We're afraid. We're going back to a place where they tried to stone you. They gave him a reason not to go. What did he do? He gives them the reason why they had to go, why they had to go back to Judea. They talked about danger from the Jews, and he talks about walking in the light of day. Look at John 11, verse 9 again. This is his answer. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This morning, again, we are going to search the scriptures, the Gospel of John, to understand what Jesus was actually saying to them in verses 9 and 10. But on the surface, it just sounds like common sense. It sounds like a proverb, right? Walk during the daytime. I mean, this is basically what he says. Walk during the daytime, not at night. Sure, I get that. Especially back then when there were no streetlights, right? Especially remember when you're going to be on that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, which was so treacherous. We saw that video last week to see how it was mountainous and, and you could easily fall down off the path into the valley in your certain death. So clearly that made sense, right? Walk during the daytime, not at night. Okay. But he's saying something much more profound than that. I want to give you an example of another time when he did the same thing. There was a time, and it's, we're going to see this in the Gospel of Matthew, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they asked him for a sign. They asked him for a sign. And then we'll see his answer as well. Let's see that now. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Matthew 16, 1. The disciples said, they wanted to stone you in Judea. And you're going to go there again? Are you really? Are we really going to have to go there again? And then Jesus talks about walking in the daytime, not walking in the night. Basically a common understanding that all of us have about some of the basics about being living on this planet. 
about the light of day and the darkness, and we can all understand that. Well, he does the same thing here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees, and these were the representatives of the darkness, right, of the rejection of Jesus, the unbelief. They came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Is that what he's going to do? Is he in the business of saying, you know what, if you ask for a sign, I'm going to give it to you? No, he's not. Again, there's no sense. There's no point in him answering them directly. And so he doesn't. Look at verse 2. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. I want you to put yourself in the position of these leaders. They think they're powerful. They think that he has to listen to them. He has to give them a sign. And instead, he talks about weather. They're like, what's wrong with this guy, right? When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Again, an everyday experience, something they would have been familiar with. Understanding the signs concerning uh, the, when the weather will be good and the weather will be stormy. And, and he's painting that picture for them. Then he goes on. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? You see, what he's saying now is he's changing from something they understood. It was common sense. Why is he even bothering to tell us about weather and how to read it? Okay, turns from that to the real issue, which is, do you understand the times that you're in? Do you understand that that this is the fulfillment of the promises that the prophets have made to you? Do you understand who I am, that I am the Messiah? You see, and, and so he's saying, you don't need a sign. All you have to do is understand what the Old Testament was pointing to. And, and, and this would be the time of fulfillment that that's all you need to understand just like the disciples in john chapter 11 okay they don't need an answer about why he's going they need to uh, an answer about why they should not be afraid to go they need to understand who he is once again and why he's there look at verse four an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of jonah Remember, who was three days in the belly of the of the of the big fish and then came out a changed man. He left them and he went away. Well, in the same way that Jesus wasn't really talking about fair weather and stormy weather back in John verses chapter 11, verses nine to ten. He isn't simply talking about common daylight and nightfall. He's talking about much, much more than that. There's a deeper meaning here. And this morning, we're going to probe deep into the Gospel of John to discover that meaning. For example, what does Jesus mean by the 12 hours of the day? He doesn't just mean the time when the sun rises to the the sun sets in the sky. There's something else here. When he says that, he's talking about something much more profound than simply the 12 hours of the day. Is there a deeper meaning to the expression, the light of this world. Surely the light of this world, you know, concretely means the sun and how while the sun is shining, we can work, we can walk. But is there a deeper meaning to that? Is there something else that Jesus is telling them, is communicating to them and to us? Well, the Gospel of John gives us the answers. And they are found in passages that talk about, simply enough, light and darkness. One of the major, major images that carries throughout the Gospel of John from chapter one in the prologue through chapter 12, interestingly. And then we don't see it after that. Now, why? Because chapter 12 is the last chapter when when Jesus is still ministering his public ministry, his mission among the Jewish people. After that, he doesn't mention the light anymore. Why? Why? Because his his hour has come. There's the 12 hours of daylight. And then his hour comes when he has to, of course, die. And when he dies, in in terms of the opportunity for the Jewish nation, the Jewish people at that time to believe in him will have been extinguished. That's that that's over at the end of chapter 12. Now, before we look at 
these places in the Gospel of John that talk about light and darkness, nearly all of them are, are Jesus speaking himself. I want to point out to you two clues that what Jesus is speaking about here is more than simply the path of the sun through the sky. Look again at verses 9 and 10. Two clues. How do we know that we should be looking for a deeper meaning here? Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him, in him. Now, the first clue is found in the very question that the disciples had asked Jesus. Would they ask him? They said, are you going to Judea again, that place where the Jews are seeking to stone you? Think about that question. Think about being one of these disciples that was asking him that, what was essentially begging him not to go. They're saying, rethink this. You know, give, give us another opportunity to convince you. This doesn't make sense. It's suicidal to be, for us, for you, to go back to Judea. And then they hear the answer. And the answer, again, is Jesus talking about the, the hours of daylight. He's talking about walking during those 12 hours. He's, walking about, he's talking about the light of this world and not walking in the night. Once night falls, opportunity to work, opportunity to walk is over. Because if you continue, you'll stumble. Now, he's talking about that. They're concerned about his safety. He's talking about daylight and 12 hours and walking and working in the daytime. And they're thinking, well, that's nice. That's not what we're worried about. We're worried about what's going to happen once we get there. That's what we want you to talk about. Why would he be telling us about these 12 hours in a day? When we're really concerned about what's going to happen when we get at the end of the journey. That's a clue. That's one clue that there's something here more than just daylight and and nightfall. The second clue is in verse 10. It's at the end of verse 10. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. It's that last two words. Because the light is not in him. What would you expect him to say? If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not shining, available, right? But is that what he says? What does he say? The light is not in him. Well, again, that should cause you to think. He's clearly not exactly talking about regular old light not being there anymore because that would not be in them. That would be either available or not available, shining or not shining. So that's the second clue. What we have here is more than meets the eye. Second clue, again, is that simple word in at the end of verse 10. And that's basically an invitation. You see that? Now you realize, wait a minute, there's something else here. I may not know what it is, but I want to find out. It's essentially an invitation to dig deeper, find out more, go back. Go back in the Gospel of John now and find what is said about light and darkness. And so that's what we're going to do. At this time, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. Very beginning of the Gospel of John. The the 18 verses that begin the Gospel of John are, as it were, for our eyes only. Meaning that it's, it's before the narrative starts. And so... When when Jesus you know co- comes on the scene in chapter one, nobody knows about what's said. You know the people that were really there, and some and so nobody knows what was written. It's again, it's like the narrator, right? When a narrator tells us something, the people that are in the story don't know what the narrators told us. Okay, so th- that we have the benefit of that, but because of the nature of what of what John writes about in the first eighteen verses. It it leads to, it has to lead to a narrative of Jesus when he's here. He's going to talk about the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, what is that? That's a transition. That is saying there's a story here. It's a story that's going to take place on earth at a certain time. He's going to be born. He's going to be made flesh. And he's going to be among people. And his own people are going to reject him. 
You see, that is anticipating. That's that's the narrator saying this is what's going to happen. And now but we can't just just end at verse 18. Now we have to walk with Jesus as all these things unfold, because he's really God in the flesh. What he did was he broke into human history. And so we need to see him interacting here on earth in human history. And then how all of what John says in verses 1 to 18 of chapter 1 actually come to pass. And that's the amazing thing about having what we have at the beginning of the Gospel of John. So again, with that, let's read John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, it's a good place to start, right? Again, a narrator would say, you know, once upon a time, or it was a dark and stormy night, or it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, right? In the beginning, we're starting at the beginning, was the word. The word is John's word for the Son of God. Okay, In the beginning, before creation, was the word. And the word was with God, a person with God, and the word was God. A profound statement of what we call the Trinity. There's the Father and the Son. They're both God and they're together from the time before there was time. All All things came into being through him, through who? The word, the Son of God. And apart from him, the word, the son of God, nothing came into being that has come into being. What is he doing there? You know what he's doing? He's making it absolutely clear to anyone who reads verses one and two and three and has an open heart to say this is true. He's telling him that Jesus Christ is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's he's making it in a very um, remarkable way of saying He's God, right? And after all, we see, remember the end of John is like, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, who? The Son of God. So it's set in the beginning. It's crystal clear, whoever reads this gospel, what John is saying at the very beginning, that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He created all things, as a matter of fact. But then we have to watch As that plays out in the real lives of real people, some who are positively disposed to receiving the truth, some who are absolutely vehemently opposed to the truth about who Jesus is. And then we have to see where all that leads and the incredible story that we now know as the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. All things came into being through him, the word who was God, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. But now look at verse four. Verse four is the key now, the first information we have that allows us to answer the question. When when Jesus talks about light to the apostles in chapter 11, what who is he really? What is he really talking about? Verse four in him was life. In who was life in the son of God was life, pure life, true life. Unlimited, infinite life, God's life. In him was life itself. And notice that life was what? The light. So now we know when Jesus talks about light, we already know. What is he talking about? Life. Life. The life that's in the Son of God. It's in Jesus. But then he adds those last two words, which then draw us into the story, which make us understand that things are going to happen so that we see the interaction between the light becoming flesh in all men, right? This life was the light of men. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or better, did not overwhelm it, okay? So now, again, we see right away in verse 5 what we're looking for. What are we looking for? Light and darkness. Light and dark. And in a very simple, essential way, John tells us what we need to know right here, but not not just about light and darkness and how Jesus uses it, but the whole drama in the Gospel of John is right here. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear the light, the life, Jesus Christ, the son of God shines in the darkness. What does that tell us? Well, very simply, this is a story about darkness as well as light. And since it's the, it's the light of men, that darkness resides in men. You see it? Yes, we know that also, ultimately, you know, it's the God of this world where the darkness really comes from. But it's but it plays out 
in the lives of men and, and how the men interact with the light or don't or stay in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overwhelm it. That, my friends, is a one verse statement of the whole gospel of John. So that we know when we see light, Jesus talking about himself as the light of the world, which we will see, we understand the stakes. We understand this. This what is he talking about, and, and why it is that that he, he he tells his disciples about watch for the light, understand what I mean by it, and understand the darkness as well. Again, once again, as we've seen often as we've progressed in the Gospel of John, the prologue, the first eighteen verses of chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, provides us with the essential truths, the essentials. What do we need to understand as we walk through the Gospel of John and we see human beings interacting with the Word made flesh? Well, one of the essentials here is about true life. And when we see what light really is, John tells us right away what what, what we mean. The Word of God, who's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has life, has true life, eternal life. How many times does Jesus talk about eternal life going forward in the Gospel of John? How many times have we seen it already? Dozens, really. Throughout. The, so, but right here we see, okay, this is, this is an essential truth. There's true life, God's life, and it's in the Son of God. And that life is the light we find in the Gospel of John. So we just, that is an essential truth, an essential fact that we take with us. But there's also darkness. The light shines in the dark. Why did the light come? To shine in the darkness. Why do we turn on a light? So that we're, we don't, so we're not in the darkness anymore, right? Why did God say at the beginning of Genesis, let there be light? So that things wouldn't be dark anymore, right? He called the light day and the, and the darkness night. Hmm. So way back at the start of Genesis, we see that same imagery, don't we? Light and darkness and light overcoming the darkness. The darkness, as John tells us in verse 5, could never overwhelm the light of the gospel. Never will. What a comfort is that? What a comfort is it to know that we run across Days of evil, days of darkness, when we, when it seems like darkness is just sucking up all the life in our lives. But it can't. Why? Because we have the light of life. We know the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ conquers that. As a matter of fact, there will be a time when, when, when the light of the world will have conquered all evil, all sin, all death. All his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. So the darkness will lose. Light wins, even at the worst possible moment for the, for the light, as it were. Even when, when, the, when the darkness had its day, it was when, of course, Jesus is on the cross, and then everything went dark in those three hours when, when God the Father was placing the sins of the world on the shoulders of Jesus. That's about as dark as you can get. But was that the end? Well, of course not, right? On the third day, he's raised from the dead. So what? Light, again, wins over darkness. And again, the light, in terms of now how we interact with the light, Jesus is no longer here physically on planet Earth. By the way, that when he says you won't have the light with you, that's all that he means. He just means that my ministry will be over. Okay? The light was with them. They beheld his glory. Well, now we don't, we don't have him physically with us. What do we have as the light that he's given us? The gospel. It's really who Jesus is once again. How, how people receive real life, right? It's the gospel of the glorified Christ. As we, see, we won't go to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, but that's what that talks about. All right, let's continue in the gospel of John now, because the second time that we come across this image of light is in verse 9 of chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 9. We've been told that life in the Gospel of John is that pure life of God, eternal life. We've been told that light shines into the darkness. We're told that the life, when it comes, the light, when it comes, is for men. And now we're going to see 
more about that. We're going to see more about the light. and We're going to see that it comes into the world. He comes into the world and that he's there for a purpose and it involves all of mankind. Look at verse nine. There was the true light. Who's that? The one who has life in him. Jesus Christ, the son of God. He was the son of God for all of eternity. But that true light, what happens? Which coming into the world, coming into the world. Remember, Jesus was talking, would say, you know, I have come down from heaven and I'm going back. But in between, I'm here for a magnificent purpose that will glorify my father and glorify me. The true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Wow. Every man. So we say to ourselves, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here. There's something that happened when Jesus entered into human history. There's light that was revealed for, that it was for everybody. He enlightens every man. We'll see more about what he enlightens them, how he enlightens them. He, the true light, son of God, was, was in the world. See, that's the gospel of John. When he was in the world, it's all four gospels. Talk about what happened when the word became flesh, when light entered into this world that was in a dark, dark place and all that happens. That's the Gospels. And then he goes back, reminds us the world was made through him. We're talking about the creator coming down to his creatures that are in the darkness and the world did not know. him. Why? Because the world was full of darkness, full of darkness. The world did not know him. He came to his own, right? his own, a member of the Jewish people and his own. No, notice those who were his own did not receive him. Stop for a minute. We, we, we have watched in the Gospel of John where the people, his own people, right, as represented, represented by the leadership, okay, rejected him. Did we not? But John told us this would happen right at the, here at the beginning. Verse 11, he came to his own. The Jewish nation, the Israel, and those who were his own did not receive him. So we, we're, we expect, if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, that that will play out as we walk through the Gospel of John. And indeed it does, again and again and again. That the darkness of the leaders who rejected him and hated him is on the scene again and again and again. Jesus performs a miracle and they want to tear him apart over it. Verse 12. But as many as received him. You see, that the light will overcome the darkness. There will be those who hear the gospel and believe it. And to those, as many as received him, he gave the right notice to become children of God. Why did he come into this dark place, light? So that he would be able to give the right to be, for anybody who receives him to become children of God. Now, if you're a child, you receive what? The life of the Father. And so, so too, anyone who believes the gospel receives the very life of God, eternal life, even to those who believe in his name. Again, now we understand not only that, Jesus, that the Son of God, light, came into the world, that he came from men, that he overcame the darkness ultimately, that he came for everybody to enlighten them, that even though the world wouldn't know him and his own wouldn't receive him, there would be some who will. And how do we know who they are? They believe in his name. Again, and we see this whole thing playing out in the gospel. We see how again and again, there are always those who believe in him. Sometimes a lot. By the time we get, remember, to the end of chapter 10, and Jesus has left Jerusalem, and he's over by Bethany beyond the Jordan. And they remembered when John the Baptist had come, and all the things that John the Baptist had said about this one Jesus, and how he fulfilled them and did more than that. And at that point, many believed him. We're going to see after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, after he'd been dead for four days, it creates a tremendous opportunity. And many take advantage of the light that was that was revealed when Jesus Christ did that, brought a man back from the dead. The light again is what? The life of God who came down. Jesus Christ. Who is he? Who is he? They were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. But of God, not all those who are from Israel are Israel. Okay? It wasn't a matter of having being born as the fleshly descendant of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. No, it, it matters that you believe in Jesus Christ and you are of God. It's God's work. God creates you 
as a new creature in Christ, as his child. He creates you as his child. He, he makes all things new. He, 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 you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. You are given eternal life. You're a brand new creature. This true life, light, when did it come into the world? When did the true light come into this dark world? At Christmas time, right? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's his birth. That's when the light was born into this world. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. I'm going to go there with you, even though it's in my notes, because I may very well, as I do often, start a few verses earlier than I originally intended, so you get the picture. In fact, we will. Let's start in verse 12. We're going to advance the story a little bit. Jesus now grows up. He is uh, baptized by John. So that to fulfill all righteousness was simply meant that he would be identified with his mission, which would be to bring the truth about righteousness and sin and judgment to the world and to demonstrate the righteousness of God by his death and resurrection. And then, of course, he is tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness. And then he comes back. Look at verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John had been taken into custody, that's that same John the Baptist that was so prominent in the first three chapters of the Gospel of John. And leaving Nazareth, Nazareth, where he grew up, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Notice this is at the very start of his public ministry. I say that because that's the same period when Jesus, we'll see this, talks about those 12 hours of daylight. One of the things he talks about, what he means by that, is his public ministry. Well, here's the beginning of it. I want you to notice the language that Matthew uses to describe it. When he comes in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is Capernaum and Galilee, Verse 14, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness. There was no greater darkness at that time than the darkness of the Gentile world. I mean, they didn't have, unfortunately, they didn't have the truth. They were not members of the commonwealth of Israel. They were outside, remember? The darkest place. Gentiles. Again, verse 15. The land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The, notice the people who were sitting in darkness, Gentile world, all of us are born in darkness, saw a great light. Who's the great light? Well, who came into that region? Jesus. They saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. The, the ultimate darkness refers to death. We're all born dead in our sins. If we remain in the darkness, we will then experience what the book of Revelation calls the second death, which is eternity in the lake of fire. Okay. The principle is that the light came into this dark world when Jesus was born. And the light became visible in the sense of publicly visible when Jesus begins his public ministry. At the end of chapter 12, he's going to say the light won't be here much longer in this world. Why? Because he's going to die and his public ministry will be over. So so clearly there's something special about his public ministry with respect to what John means by the light, what Jesus means by the light. And we saw in, in back in, in John, um, I, don't, I don't have you go there because we're going to continue, but we saw that we're told that Jesus enlightens every man. And you have to ask the question. Well, he enlightens every man, but you have to ask what? What does he enlighten them? What? How does he enlighten? What, what is it that he enlightens them with? Well, to enlighten somebody, of course, he's not just talking about shining a physical light. Not at all. He's talking about opening their eyes, their spiritual eyes, enlighten them about the truth, 
mostly the truth about who they are and what they need, right? So he enlightens them, for example, and this is so important. Holy Spirit does that after Jesus goes back. Jesus talks about this in John 16, 8. We won't go there in the interest of time. But one of the three of the amazing things that people need, not amazing, but basic things that people need to know that they didn't know were sin. Okay, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every man needs to know that. Okay, Righteousness, what's that? Well, that's the standard that God uses for every man and woman. Okay, so let me get this picture right. I, I, I am born in sin. Okay, God's standard is perfect righteousness. I don't have it. Clearly, if I'm a sinner, I don't have perfect righteousness. And then the third leg of the stool was what? Judgment. You know, Jesus doesn't pull any punches about judgment. We, we, we saw in our Bible study on Thursdays in the, in the book of Isaiah how again and again and again the word of God talks about the diametrically opposed destinies of those who believe and those who don't. Jesus said, I've come so that they won't be judged. Judgment is an awful thing. It's an end that, that then those who were in the darkness and wanted to stay will be in the darkness forever. Judgment. Why? You might say, why? This doesn't sound like all light to me. There's a lot of, you know, things that look dark here. So why would this be the first thing that the Lord wants every man to know? And the answer is, is because this very simply drives them to their need for a savior. I mean, if they're listening, if they have ears to hear and eyes to see and they realize the truth, (coughs) but they have sinned and fall short. Of the glory of God. But they are not righteous. And yet they need to be. (coughs) And for those who will never become righteous. Or seen as righteous in God's eyes. A judgment awaits. A terrible judgment. A wrath of God kind of judgment. Anybody who's paying attention. Anybody who's giving the word of God a hearing. At this point has to say. There's got to be a way out of this. There's got to be. And of course there is. And that's the moment in which the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it comes in and finally enlightens them out of the darkness they didn't know they were in. Right? He's the savior of the world. Ultimately, light conquers darkness. Okay? He's the savior of the whole world. Whoever believes in him will never perish, won't go into the judgment, but have that ultimate light, which is what? Eternal life. Sadly, most reject the light. What light? They hear the truth and they reject it. They hear the truth and they say, I'm not really a sinner. They hear about righteousness and they say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as some people. They hear about judgment and they say, that's a myth. That's a fairy tale. There's no hell. Just listen to, um, what's his name? The preacher is so popular now. Thank you. Right? He says there's no hell. And a lot of people say, well, that's good enough for me, right? But there is, you see, judgment is real, but people reject it. Therefore, if they reject those things, then they're not looking for a savior. But even then, you would hope that they would at least listen to the message, but most hear about Jesus and reject him. But some do except believe in him, the light of the world. And remember, we've seen what happens when they believe in him. They become children of God, which simply means God shared that pure, perfect life with them. Looking at this little baby this morning, and I'm thinking about new life, right? New life. Of course, that's human life. But what awaits whoever believes in Jesus Christ is way beyond even the beauty of of a newborn child, right? That eternal life that comes from God. And not only are we born as children of our parents, now we're born of God. We have his life. It's right here. It's all here at the outset in the Gospel of John, right here in the prologue. Okay, let's continue our journey in the Gospel of John. Let's go to chapter 3. Appropriately enough, John chapter 3, verse 16. Again, we are simply following the line of light in the, in the Gospel of John when it is paired with darkness, which is the issue, which is the issue Jesus is talking about in chapter 11. Walk in the light. When, when night comes in the darkness, you can't walk anymore. 
What is he talking about? Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. Speaking of the gospel, right? For God so loved the world. That's another factor you have to put in here. I need a savior. Am I going to get one? Yeah, why? Because God loves the world. He gave his only begotten son, the word made flesh, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. Here it is, simple. But God did not send the son, the word made flesh, the light that came into the world. He didn't do that to judge the world. Can you see what a sense of relief you would have, you should have had, hearing those words after understanding that, you know, there is a judgment. But Jesus didn't come to judge the world. What? That the whole world, he is the light that enlightens every man. The whole world would be saved through him. And notice, he who believes in him is not judged. See how simple and direct God's word is. There's a judgment. How do I avoid it? It's real simple. Recognize that you need a savior. Realize that that God has provided him in in the person, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and believe in him. No judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who does not believe. And again, this is the light and the darkness in the Gospel of John. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because his sins are worse. He lived a worse life than other people. Is that what it says? No, because he has simple. He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In other words, in a sense, God gave you needed a Savior. God gave you the best possible Savior. He gave it all. He did it all for you. And yet you rejected. You see, it's a serious thing. Sometimes you just think, well, you know, some people just don't have the ability to believe. Some people have their own religion. Some people are too busy, blah, blah, blah. No, you have to understand, they're rejecting the one and only Savior that God has given them to rescue them from judgment. That's serious stuff. He has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Here's the light and the darkness. Light has come into the world. Right? We just saw that in chapter 1. And men loved the darkness rather than the light. because For their deeds were evil. By the way, you do realize that all of our deeds were evil, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So he's not just saying that... People didn't come to the light because their deeds were evil. He was saying they they did it because they loved the darkness. And as a result, they won't come to the light because they they fear that the judgment is coming. Their deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth, okay, those are the children of the light, those are believers, comes to the light so that his deeds may be shown as having been wrought in God. That what who he is and what he has done, what is done for him, the works that he walks in, all of that comes from God, the grace of God. This, of course, is the gospel message. This is the light that shines and enlightens every man. Whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish, have eternal life. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the light, the person of Christ that came into this world. Because men who stayed in the darkness love it. They don't want to go into the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. But this is what really is. See, it's not believing in Christ that's evil. You know, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, here's the work of God, to believe in the one who he has sent. And do that, right? So, of course, they're going to live in fear of the judgment. They're in fear. They may not understand it, but they understand something's not right. I'm not right. And there is something coming down the pike. And we, of course, know what it is. A judgment when when every man, every unbeliever's deeds will be exposed. And there are the believers, the ones who practice the truth. They come to the light. Far from being afraid of it, they welcome the light. Why? Because the day will show that their deeds were produced by God. You realize that? Every believer in Christ will have deeds that will be have been produced by God. Not all of them, but there will be deeds that were produced by God. I want to show you that. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This is the legacy of the believer. Not because of anything good about us. Not because we persevered in, in following the law. No, one reason. 
Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. This is why every believer can welcome the light that, that, that enlightens, that shows, reveals their works, their deeds. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, believer. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of works, okay? The man who does not work but believes, that is reckoned as righteousness, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. But notice verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Are we our own project? No. Are we doing things for God? No. He's doing things for us. We are his workmanship. Notice this, created in Christ Jesus, born again, child of God, all things new for good works. See, don't don't think that we're just here and we believe and then we hang out until a rapture and then we get to heaven. There's a term, just like Jesus came into the world to, I'll put this in a way that not, it really unders, undersells the, the truth, but to make a difference in the world or to, to have, have things it, that he does with people in the world, so too we. We're not here just to lie around until Christ comes back, right? God has ordained for every one of us good works. And by the way, those good works will revolve around the light, the truth of Jesus, the gospel, which God prepared beforehand. Notice, who prepared him? God did, so we would walk in them. What more do we learn about light and darkness in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John? That the coming of the light that enlightens every man reveals two kinds of people. I'll put it this way. The light lovers, believers, and the light haters, unbelievers. Clear? Okay. That We add that to our understanding of light and darkness as we move forward. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. John 8, 12. Then, John 8, 12. Oh, you got to go back to John. Yeah, i got to give you another moment. Those should be all the pages that are dog-eared by now, right? John, these chapters 1 through 10. Actually, all of them, if you've been following my guidance, you could read the whole gospel right once in a while. They should all be dog-eared by this time. Then again, if you've been following, studying the word of God for years, I suppose a lot more than those should be dog-eared too. So maybe that doesn't help after all. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them and saying, I'm the light, talking to his disciples now. No, talk. sorry, talking to his enemies. I'm the light of the world. Now, we already knew that, didn't we? By reading the prologue, but now Jesus is declaring it publicly. His life in the world, he is now telling people in the world that he is the light of the world. He who follows me, believers, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But we already knew that. We already knew that light in the Gospel of John is the very life of God. But here, now in the presence of his enemies, Jesus, here on earth, speaking, not in the prologue, but during his public ministry, is telling everybody he is the light of the world. He's saying it publicly. Who was there? Well, there are a lot of people, but his disciples were there. They heard him say that he's the light of the world, and yet they were afraid. When When the light of the world wanted to bring them to a place of Judea, they were afraid. They didn't understand. They forgot he's the light of the world. And this life is what? This light is true life. But those who don't have the light, of course, walk in the darkness. The light is not in them. John chapter 9, verse 4. So we're getting close to chapter 11 now. Again, this is when Jesus heals the man born blind, gives him sight. This is right after his disciples said to them, who sinned? Remember? Who sinned? Here are his parents that he's born blind. And of course, he says the same thing in chapter 9 that he's just said in chapter 11. Neither, but so that the works of God may be revealed. Okay. Then he says, talking about works of God, verse 4, remember we saw this is not we, but I here. I must work the works of him who sent me, the Father. The Father sent him with works to perform. Gospel of John records the works that the Father gave Jesus to perform all the way up to his death, by the way. 
as long as it is day. Notice, I must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Now, if you're the disciples and you've now heard that, you understand that as long as it is day, there's work to be done. So if there's 12 hours in the day and we ought to walk in the day, that just means that there's more work to be done in Judea. It's not over yet. His hour has not yet come. At night is coming when no one can work. But while I, Jesus, am in the world, this world, I am the light, the light of this world. Ah, now Jesus, for the first time, is speaking in terms of day and night. Okay, He's now saying there's day and there's night. He's introducing the time element. We haven't seen that yet. Now he's saying there's a time element to the light and darkness in my life, in your life. There's a finite time period for him. Right, reserved for him to work the works of his father, a finite time period in human history. The father said, this, this period of time, we think it's about three years, is your time to do all the works that I've given you to do. That's your 12 hours, Jesus, as it were, reserved. But then night will come. Very interesting. We're not going to see this today, but in John 13, okay, you can, don't go there, but I'm just going to tell you that when Judas, okay, when Satan enters into him and he leaves, right, the, the Last Supper, so to speak, the Bible says crystal clear, he left and it was night. He left and it was night. Night is the, is the moment of darkness, in a sense, spiritually speaking as well. There's a time period reserved, but then the hour would come. Jesus kept talking about it's not my hour yet. They should have known that. You know what? It's not his hour yet. So, of course, we're going to be able to go to Judea. He's going to have more work to do. But the hour would come. And when is that? When the light is no longer shining in the world. Who's the light? Jesus Christ. When will he be no longer shining in the world? At his death. Okay. Now, you might say, well, he's never going to, he's going to be coming back. Yeah, I know. But again, what's the light here? What's the daylight here? It's public ministry. The opportunity for, for anyone who is in his public ministry, for the people of Israel especially, to believe in him. The light will no longer be shining. So now if the disciples had been paying attention to what Jesus had already told them about light and darkness, they would have instantly understood what he was telling them in John chapter 11, verses 9 to 10. Let's go there one more time. By the way, that statement is 10 times as true for anybody who reads the Gospel of John. Why? Because you get the prologue too, okay? Clearly what's going on. Look at John 11, 9 to 10. Are there not 12 hours in the day? What day? The day that the light is in the world, those, the, the, the time period of Jesus' public ministry. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. What does that mean? Jesus is there with them. He sees that. But if anyone walks in the night, okay, he stumbles. But again, because the light is not in him. Haven't we seen that those who are in the darkness are those who don't have Christ? Light is not in them. All right. They don't have life. Light in the Gospel of John points to eternal life. And I'll just point this out as we close. Notice here in chapter 10, now he speaks of hours. He spoke of day and night. Now he's talking about those 12 hours in the day. And again, that's the time he had to complete his mission on earth. By the way, as a believer in Christ, there's, we have 12 hours. In our day, as it were, to do what? Complete our mission on earth. Now we see. We see it's easy to understand now what Jesus is saying. He's the light of this world. The 12 hours of daylight when he was here was the period of time for him to work the works of his father in this world. And he's telling the disciples, when he tells them there's 12 hours in the day, you should never have any fear as long as I'm with you. As long as we're walking in the day of my ministry, when the light of the world is with you, there's no reason to fear. But night is coming when no one can work. And the hour will come soon for Jesus to depart from that world. Every person must walk while they still have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Christ, when you still have the light, you become a son of light. We're going to see this. 
you have eternal life. But if you continue to walk in the darkness, eventually it'll be night. You won't know where you're going, but it'll end. And we know where it ends. End in judgment. So what relevance do we take away from this as believers in Christ? Well, we too were formerly darkness. But now we are light in the Lord. What are we to do? Very simply, as Ephesians 5.8 tells us, we are to walk as children of light. In the daylight hours that remain in our lives, let us resolve to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for taking something simple, light and darkness. Child going to bed in a room and it's dark and he's scared. We want a little nightlight. We understand that. And now we've seen it turned into the most amazing, remarkable facts and truths about who we are, about who Jesus is, the gospel. So we thank you that this is so clear and transparent in this gospel of John. But help us to take away from this the, the knowledge that believers are now children of light. We're to walk that way. We're to walk like who God has made us to be. And we have to proclaim the excellencies of you, Father, who have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of life in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Join us again on Thursday. There's some remarkable carry-throughs between the, the prophet Isaiah and the Gospel of John. We've seen it. Okay, so your, your understanding really of, a, of, of a lot of Scripture will be really enriched. By, now, I'll grant to you that it's a 66-chapter book, okay? But you can't be intimidated by that in Isaiah. You just have to walk with us a little bit at a time, and things will open up. All right, with that, you're dismissed. And uh, we will see, hopefully, a lot of you on Thursday evening, either here or on Skype.